Hi, and welcome to Girls on Fire, the podcast. Girls on Fire, the podcast is a celebration of our girls, our community and our school. So I am Jamika. I'm here with MLC Collegian Amy Barber. Welcome, Amy. Thanks, Jamika. So you went to MLC. Can you share with us some of your memories of your time here? Sure. And I have to say, walking up on the Great Court this morning just brings back so many positive memories. So it's really lovely to be back and thanks for having me. Um, My high school experience was a really positive one and I've got to say it was one of the best times of my life, to be honest. Some of my best memories would definitely include just time spent with friends who are now still some of my best friends. So fostering those really lifelong connections that I just don't think you get anywhere else. Um, fond memories include um, lots of things to do with music so going on the chorale trip overseas I think we were the first Europe tour um, and we actually randomly ran into John Howard whilst we were over there in Vienna doing the um, one of the Estedfords that was fantastic concerto night just all the you know endless rehearsals but those times that you really got to spend with friends and and teachers Um, I loved languages, so I got to go on the Reunion Island French exchange program. I'm not sure if they still do that, but um, that was fantastic, really enjoyed that. And then all the opportunities, so, you know, sport and, as I said, music and um, all the other things that MLC offers. So, yeah, lots of fun memories, but mainly lots of laughs with friends. (laughs) It's lovely. Yeah, we recently did our MLC concerto night just a couple of weeks ago, which was lovely. Um, so what pathways did you take at university? What university did you go to? Mm-hmm. So after school, I went to UWA and I studied a Bachelor of Law and Arts. I ended up finishing that degree over in Sydney. It's just as a sort of an exchange program at the University of Sydney. Um, and it was during that time that I did another exchange actually in the UK. Um, it was at a Canadian university Um called Hurstmonceau or was Queen's University in Hurstmonceau but there is where I really fostered my interest in international law so this was a purely international law course um, and I strongly remember one of the guest speakers who came in one day during that program who was working in The Hague on international crimes basically and I remember going up to him after and just being so fascinated by what he'd said and basically said like how do I be you how do I get this job that you've got and he said, well, just have a shot, try, apply for an internship. You've got nothing to lose and I'd be happy to be your referee. And that was really just what got my first foot in the door to the UM. During uni, I did a number of UN internships. Um, after uni, I got qualified in Australia and did the relevant things you need to do to get admitted to the bar. And after a few years in a big commercial law firm where I wasn't feeling particularly inspired, I had the opportunity to go back. Um, and that's what led me onto this big adventure really across Africa and Asia, um, working for the UN in international crimes. So everything from prosecuting genocide to crimes against humanity, war crimes, those sorts of things. Um, and yeah, basically that, that was the stepping stone into that sort of pathway into law. So like you said, you started your career as a corporate lawyer mm-hmm. and then you moved towards international and humanitarian law for the UN. So what was there anything that prompted this shift in your career focus? Mm-hmm. I think I'd always been really more interested in that space, but I'd received some advice from someone, a mentor at the time, who said, it's actually, even though you've got that interest, you can't easily practice that kind of stuff in Australia. So his advice was get a good foundation in Australian law first, in domestic law, and at least you've always got that to come back to. 
And even today, I when I work for the Australian Red Cross, those skills and that, that experience that I garnered very early on in a corporate law firm, that has really helped to um, shape my career today. And so um, how demanding was working as a prosecutor for the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda? Mm, it was demanding. And you have to remember, you, we were living in Tanzania, which was the neighbouring country to Rwanda. They decided to set the court up there for um, safety reasons. So you're away from your family and friends and work really is your life. So beyond, you know, it's already a demanding job, but because that's your sole focus, you know, it was quite normal for us to be working, you know, almost every day if, if there was a filing or something due, so we'd work across weekends and things like that. But then that mixed with the complexities of living in an African country, you know, different sort of security concerns and, um, you know, even just basic things like what, what restaurants you go to or what you're eating, going to the supermarket, none of that stuff is as straightforward. So there's sort of an extra layer um, of pressure there. But I think when I think about the more demanding aspects or the more intense aspects, it's often just reviewing some of the really horrific testimony um, and you're sort of so in the zone at the time and you do become desensitised. But looking back, you never really forget the stories of the victims and the pictures and things that you see and, and you, you know, you come across. So that's another aspect of the job you've got to be prepared for. Yeah, that must have been really heartbreaking. Mm. So was there anything you really especially liked, anything that gave you a bit of a drive mm -hmm. when you worked there? Oh, so many things. Um it was just an incredible international environment. So, you know, it was completely normal to be the only Australian and a huge diverse mix of people from all around the world with the most incredible backgrounds. So, you know, I felt inspired just by working with all these amazing colleagues. Um, being in Tanzania was fantastic. We lived in Arusha, which is right near Mount Kilimanjaro, for anyone that knows that region. We used to take weekend trips to Zanzibar. We could drive for an hour and be in the Tarangiri National Park or close to Serengeti. So that was just fantastic and it was really just a, a massive adventure. Um, but it was also just a privilege to have the opportunity to work on these cases and, and to do our best to, you know, shine some light on these victims' stories and try and promote a sense of accountability in, in international justice. So were there any other places that you travelled to? Oh, so... Um, we travelled all through East Africa. So we did. We mainly worked in Tanzania, Rwanda and Kenya um, and there'd be a UN flight that went every Friday between the two countries and that was to transport witnesses and the evidence but also, you know, if, in, if the workers had a reason to go. So we got to trek through the Rwandan national parks and, and see the gorillas, for example, and also do work around there. Um, as the court was starting to wrap up its trials, it did a lot of work in the region on sort of legacy activities because... Obviously, they'd had 20 years of all these international prosecutors coming and, and, you know, all the lessons learned and all the, you know, um, things that we'd worked on. So we wanted to share that in the region as sort of a best practices, particularly in how to prosecute sexual violent crimes, because unfortunately, they're far too prevalent over there. I never forget a case that we um, sort of exposed in Kenya where a young girl had been raped and her penalty or the penalty for the perpetrator was he had to mow the lawn of a police station. So it was just things like that where we would say, like, you know, this is the international standard and this is what the penalty should be and things like that. So that was during that time and then I later moved to West Africa where I travelled sort of in that region as well. Yeah, that's really quite horrific. Mm. So um, upon your return to Perth, you um, worked for the Army Reserves and Red Cross. Mm -hmm. So what prompted this, another shift in career focus and your move back to Perth? 
Mm-hmm. First of all, personal reasons, so family reasons. My husband's in the military and after so many years of, you know, jumping back and forth between countries and travel, it was always our goal that we would try and have some sort of, you know, end point where we'd come back to Australia. And luckily he got a job in Perth that he loved, which suited me perfectly. But career-wise, I still wanted to practice international law because that was that's really has been always my passion. And I remember someone saying, well, you know, this is such a specific or niche area of the law, particularly the laws of armed conflict. And if you want to practice that in Australia, the only two places are really the Army or the Red Cross because they have a special mandate to promote the international um, humanitarian law. So that became my focus. And, um, you know, I, I applied for the Army. It took a number of years to sort of go through the various um, hurdles and things that you need to, but um, they're really the only people in Australia that will actually practice, you know, the laws of armed conflict and and have certain targeting guidelines and all that kind of stuff. And as I said, the Red Cross, they're the guardians of IHO in Australia. So that was where I set my mind to. And um, you've just had a baby boy named Finn. Can you tell us a bit about him? Love to. So Finn was born in June a few months ago, ironically on Donald Trump's birthday. (laughs) And um, he's a healthy, happy three-and-a-half-month-old we decided to get him into swimming pretty early. So we love taking him to his swimming lessons on the weekend, which is pretty cute. And to be honest, I just, I hope for him that he has access to a lot of the same opportunities that my husband and I have. And we hope that, you know, he'll get to travel and see the world and have a sort of a sense of humanity and, um, you know, have a great education, all those kinds of things that we did. So yeah, it's a nice, it's a special time of life. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing your stories. You're a really inspiring woman. Yes. Thanks, Jamaica. Thanks so much. No worries. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Girls on Fire, the podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes to come.